Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, welcome to church this beautiful Sunday morning. It's good to see you. Welcome. You can respond. It's cool. We can talk. It's a conversation. Yeah. Praise God for sunshine. Am I right? Uh, my name's Robin. I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you maybe I haven't met um, yet, I've met a couple of new people this morning. Hi. So fun to have you here. Um, I am excited to get to end our series in James this morning. I mean, is that exciting or is it sad? You're like, no, give me more weeks of this. James, James, you start chanting. Um, if you're looking around and you're like, where's Pastor Tim? I didn't see Pastor Tim. I normally hear him worshiping. He's very loud and vocal. Um, Tim actually got the opportunity to go to one of our friends' church in Georgia, Albany, Georgia. If you don't know where it is, that's okay. It's Albany, Georgia. It's a great place, um, but mostly there's great people that are there. Our friends have a church called Providence, and you probably don't know them, but they know you. In fact, they, this couple in this church were one of the first people to invest in the Father's House San Francisco. So they can't hear you, but let's just say thank you in the spirit to them. So um, it's, it's cool that Tim gets to hang out with them this morning, and he will be back with us tonight. So my kids are excited about that. They're like, dad, where'd you go? I'm like, you'll be fine. Okay. But he needs to come home and take care of them because mom needs a break. Am I right? Okay. No, just me. Well, today we are ending our series called Practical Faith, and it's been a great series. And I love the way that James ends this letter to the church. He says, he, he gives us a call to pray back in chapter five. And we're gonna be talking about this morning, that this morning. And in fact, I'm gonna give you a little disclaimer that we are gonna be ending our service this morning with a time of prayer. Um, it talks about how we can pray for healing in the word, that God didn't just save us to send us to heaven, but that Jesus died for us because he wants us to be whole. So if you're in the room this morning, I know a few people that I've talked to that have gotten a recent diagnosis, or you've been walking with a sickness for years, we believe in the power of prayer, and we believe that healing is for today. So we're going to spend some time at the end of the service today. So if that's you, if you're sick in body, I don't care if it's something small or it's something big. We want to pray and agree in prayer. And I'm praying that during this message that your faith is built so that when you come down here to pray, you will pray with an understanding that God wants to do some powerful things in our lives. Amen. Amen. So James ends this um, letter with a call to prayer, and it's quite appropriate that he does that. See, prayer needs to be attached to everything that we do. We talked about many different subjects from James in this letter. Um, we talked about how we are tempted by stuff and how, you know, there's many different topics that we go through. And what's amazing is when you realize the reason James ends this with prayer is he wants us to attach prayer to every single one of these things that he talks about previously. So prayer needs to be our response when we come up against some crazy stuff, right? Come up against some crazy stuff in our life and prayer needs to be our response. When we read the word and we have faith, it's prayer that turns our faith into good works. It's prayer that helps us control our tongue. Am I right? 
And it's prayer that we go to when we face temptation. So whether things are going really good in your life, you're happy, or maybe you're sad, you're cheerful, or you're suffering, prayer needs to be our response, and it is the way that we connect with God. James said back in chapter 4, one of my life verses, um, chapter 4, verse 8, he said, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. When we pray, we are not praying to a distant, far-off God, but when we draw near him, he is a God that is near, and prayer is our connection to him. So this morning, we are going to dive into that. Prayer can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Prayer may look different for different individuals. Prayer may mean kneeling on a rug in a certain direction, a certain time, a certain amount of times a day to some people. Prayer may look like a quiet meditation to someone else, or the complete opposite, the 911 very loud and vocal, shooting up a request to a higher power. Or prayer may be something that you recite repetitively. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against in Jesus' name. I clearly have a Catholic background, right? Prayer looks different for different people. But today, I want to talk about the kind of prayer that produces results. Not to say that none of those types of prayer I just mentioned don't produce results. But I want to look at what James says he ends this letter by telling us how we should approach prayer if we want to see results. Speaking of prayer, let's do just that. You guys can bow your heads. Let's pray us in. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are near us. Thank you that your promise and your word is true that if we draw near you, you draw near us. So thank you that you are already in this room this morning. Thank you for that we could worship you, the one true God. We love you and we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, go with me to James chapter 5. We're going to start off in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can check it out on the screen. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? Well, then you should call for the leaders of the church to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such, prayer, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Can I get an amen on that one? He ends it with verse 17 saying, Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Wow. Wow. Can we just get like a month? of no rain? Who's up for that? Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. I love this chunk of scripture. I love chapter five, but I don't know about you. When it gets towards the end, I get a little bit puzzled because I'm like, James, why are you, why are you bringing Elijah into this? <laughs> like, can't we just end with the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. But James ends with Elijah, this bold statement that I have a hard time grasping. 
If you're new to church or new to reading the Bible and you haven't maybe, we, we told you to start in the New Testament, you maybe haven't gotten to the Old Testament, let me tell you a little bit about Elijah. Elijah was an incredible man of God. He was a man that God used to do many miracles through. Elijah um, was the guy who prayed that, that he actually stopped the weather from like raining, made it sunny, which I'll take for a little bit, but you know, for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And during this time, obviously there was a drought and eventually a famine in the land because there was no rain for their crops to grow food. So God sent Elijah to this um, brook that was a water source for him so that he could survive during this time. And then God sent birds um, to Elijah, ravens in fact, that came and fed Elijah during this time, bringing him meat and bread. How trippy would that be? She's like, thank you so much. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. So after this, the brook dries up and God sends Elijah to this village where he goes to this widow's house. It's this widow and her son and they're getting ready to die because they only had a little bit more flour and a little bit more olive oil to make a little bit more bread. And Elijah prays and he multiplies her groceries. He causes the flour to never run out of her jar, causes the oil to never run out of her jar so that they can survive. How incredible is that? And then this woman's son ends up getting sick, the Bible says, to where the little boy gets so sick that he ends up dying. So the woman calls on Elijah and Elijah comes and he lays face to face with this little boy and he prays and he resurrects this little boy from the dead. Incredible, right? So then at this time, um, there was this group of people, they were called the prophets of Baal. They worshiped this God called Baal. And Elijah comes to them and says, hey, we're gonna do a little competition. You think that this Baal is a God, it's not really a God, but you can prove to me that he is. What we're gonna do, we're gonna go out into a field and they take two bulls, not like bulls, but like bulls, the animal, okay? They take two bulls, and they lay them on an altar over wood. And he says, we're each going to pray and ask our God to rain down fire from heaven and consume our offering. So the prophets of Baal are like, okay, let's do this. So they go out to the field and the prophets of Baal start praying and nothing happens. They keep praying and nothing happens. Eventually, you know, Elijah starts to make fun of him. You should read the story. It's pretty fantastic. So now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah wants to prove the point how powerful his God is. So he takes water and he drenches the bowl and the wood and the entire altar in water. And then Elijah prays, God of heaven, will you show that you are the one true God? Would you send fire down? Fire comes down, not only consumes the animal, but it consumes the wood. And it says it licked up all the water to where it was dry. How incredible is that, right? I don't know about you, but this sounds like a pretty typical week for me. Yeah, um, just last Tuesday, robin birds, they're pretty partial to me. Uh, they came and brought me some in and out. It was, it was pretty great. Just like a day in the life, you know? Um, also, I, I prayed the other day for my neighbor, and now she never has to go grocery shopping again. Um, her, her cabinets are stocked. It was, it was a pretty cool miracle that happened because I prayed. Um, also, the, the raccoons in my neighborhood, I was just kind of getting tired of them. So I was like, God, bring down heaven, and he consumed them all. It was, it was, it was, it was great. 
Oh, and by the way, I, I gave my neighbor the miracle of not having to buy groceries, so I had to make my way out to Costco. So I was passing through coma, and I raised a few dead bodies. No big deal. No, this doesn't sound my li like my life. Doesn't sound like my life. Yet, James says that we're just like Elijah. Just like Elijah. Think about that for a minute. Caleb, you're just like Elijah. Just like Elijah. I'm all, who am I going to point out now? Everybody's like getting nervous. <laughs> Jonah, you're just like Elijah. What James was doing here is he was showing us that Elijah is not some archaic symbol of a man of God that we can look back on in the Old Testament and say he was better than us. James was saying, Elijah was a man just like you. Elijah put his pants on one leg at a time just like you. That's actually not true. He wore a tunic. But if you put a tunic on, he would put a tunic on just like you. Elijah had the same access to God just like you. Elijah prayed just like you. And James is drawing this parallel to show us that we are just like Elijah. Yet when I read this, I'm like, James, really? Because there's a big difference between the way I pray and the results I see and the way Elijah prayed and the results he saw. So if I'm just like Elijah, why is there this disparity between our prayers? See, this morning, I think that we need to ask ourselves, how did Elijah pray? What was his secret? Because when I look at the text, I see that there are two identifying attributes of the way that Elijah prayed. And I think if we can apply those to our lives, we'll see our prayers produce results. If we go back to the end of verse 16, we read, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I wanna have us see these two parallels this morning, these two things that we saw in the way that Elijah prayed. The first one, we notice that it says, um, he had earnest prayer. If you look at the New King James Version, it uses the word fervent, that he prayed with fervency. Fervent means a passionate intensity. The first attribute we see from Elijah, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes this morning. The first thing we see from Elijah is passion. You guys say that with me this morning, passion. What type of prayer will produce wonderful results? Passionate prayer. James is saying here that our emotions need to be attached to what it is we're praying. That we're not just praying with our head and our knowledge and our memorization, but we're praying with our heart. Our emotions need to be attached. Some of you in the room are like, uh-oh, here she goes. I knew it was wrong there was a lady pastor here. Here she is talking about feelings. Is this an emotionally driven church? Are you gonna pass the mic around now and we're gonna have to share our feelings? No, that's not the case. I have a few friends in the room that will literally dry it, um, cry at the drop of a hat. Julie, I see you. I see you, girl. Jazzy. See, I'm not trying to make you 
cry at the drop of a hat or try and share your emotions or be like me. See, I understand my Enneagram type. I don't know if you've taken the test. I don't know if you've read the books, but I am an Enneagram two. They call me the helper. And it actually says about my type that I am emotionally intelligent. I may question the intelligence sometimes up here, but girl, boy, I got my emotional intelligence. In a healthy state, I know exactly what I'm feeling. And in fact, I can go beyond that. It says I'm a perceiver and I can actually know what you're feeling probably before you even do. It's a superpower, I'm telling you. So let the Enneagram 2, let me do what I do so naturally and let me help you understand that God created you as an emotional being. See, he made you and he's the one who gave you your feelings. Not so that you could stuff them down and never let them come up, but so that you can be an emotional being and experience feeling. And he says, I want you to bring your feeling into your prayer life. I want you to bring your heart and your emotion into your prayers. Maybe don't take it from me, but maybe take it from King David, who wrote the majority of the Psalms that we read. Now, King David knew how to pray with passion. We read the Psalms, but David didn't write the Psalms. David prayed the Psalms. It was a part of his life. He brought the full scope of his emotions, whether it be good or bad, and he brought it to the feet of God. And he said, God, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. He brought all of his emotions before him in prayer. And if you are to look at any of the Psalms, you'll notice this amazing thing that David does because David prays with passion. I'm gonna take Psalm 54 for instance. Now, I don't think when David prayed this Psalm, it sounded like this. God, come with great power. Rescue me. Defend me with your might. Hey, listen to my prayer if you got time. You know, these strangers, they're attacking me. Kind of sucks. But, you know, if you're around, maybe you can help me. Try and keep me alive. Oh, by the way, I'm going to praise your name and all of that good stuff. No. When David prayed this psalm, he said, Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer. These strangers, God, they're attacking me. But you, O God, are my helper. You can keep me alive. I will praise the name of the Lord forever, for you are good. See, James didn't need the Enneagram 2 to come to him and say, James, this is how you should pray. Because James had the Psalms as his prayer book. He wouldn't just read them. He would pray them. And it would teach him how to pray. And James, some theologians say he was a man with camel knees. That sounds really weird. But what that means is that his knees were so callous from taking the posture of kneeling before God in prayer. Somebody who is passionate about the God that they're praying to, passionate about what they're praying, doesn't take that posture so often to have calluses on their knees. And James got this. And I think that for so many of us, our prayers fail to be effective simply because they're not fervent. Prayers offered up with a lukewarm, I'm not sure this even works, 
but I guess I gotta fulfill my religious obligation and pray type of attitude. No, passionate prayer is fervent. Not because we're trying to persuade emotionally uh, with our emotions, not that we're trying to persuade a reluctant God. No, because we catch his heart when we pray with fervency. We meet him at his fervency. We start to care for the things he cares for. Come on, God, in our fervency, he wants us to align with his heart. And when we pray with passion, we do just that. See, when I read this, I realize that if my prayers are passionless, then they're void of effectiveness. God doesn't want our lip service. He wants our hearts. So I ask you this morning, how is your prayer life right now? I know some of you in the room pray with passion. I know some of you that are praying with a fervency for a child that's far away from God or praying for someone to find healing and you're praying with passion. So I'm not accusing, accusing you of being passionless, but I ask the rest of us this morning, are our emotions engaged in our requests? James says the kind of prayer that produces results is the one that's full of passion. And I have to imagine that when Elijah prayed for the woman who was about to die of starvation, that that prayer was full of fervency, that it was a passionate prayer. And I have to imagine that when Elijah was praying for God to rain down fire and consume the offering, that it was one full of passion. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't always mean volume. There can be the most passionate prayer that is quiet and maybe words that aren't even spoken. But I imagine when Elijah laid face to face with a dead corpse of a little boy and prayed for God to resurrect him, I bet it sounded passionate. This morning, I wanna ask you, what dead situation are you staring in the face? What dead thing that needs to be revived are you staring in the face? Bring your prayers of passion to God for the things that you long for, the things that you want to see changed. Number two, the second thing we gather from reading this text regarding the type of prayer that produces results is the word righteous. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous. See, it's not just the passionate prayer, but it's the passionate prayer of the righteous that produces results. In other words, it's not just passion that produces results, it's our position. Write that down, position. I'm gonna say that again. It's not just our passion that produces results, it's our position. It's your position at work that enables you to say that you belong in an office building. You probably have one of those swipe cards. It's your position as a parent to show that you belong on your child's elementary campus. You can take that verse down. I'll use that in a minute. It's your position, and you're not like a creeper coming on the elementary campus, like you actually belong there. It's your position as the renter of your house to show that you belong there, and you can come and go as you please. But have you ever had that moment where you realize that you don't belong that your position doesn't give you access. I remember Tim and I were at a conference in Sacramento um, a few years back, and we were, our friends were running the conference, and they said, hey, 
we really want to see you guys, and I also want to introduce you to our guest speakers. So come back to the green room afterwards so we can introduce you after the first session. So we're like, for sure, we'll totally come. That'll be great. So the session concludes. We gather up our stuff, and Tim and I head to the back, and we're starting to walk down this hallway, and there was this weird thing. I think they call them stanchions. I think it's what we use to keep you guys from entering up here and sitting too far away and come filling the front. Just so you know, that's what we do. So there's a stanchion blocking us from this hallway. And there was this man standing there with this like phrase on his shirt. It says, security, security, just standing there. I'm like, hi, how are you? We're going to go back here. We're meeting our friends. And he says, I'm sorry, you can't come past this. Do you see the barrier? I'm like, oh, well, our friends told us to come see him. I'm like, well, do you have a lanyard with an all-access badge? I'm like, no, no, we don't, no. Kind of hang our head low, like, well, it's not a big deal. We'll probably see him. At okay, no problem, no problem. We just walk away like, huh, you know, we don't belong. We don't belong here. So Tim and I made our way out to the coffee area. We're like, eh, maybe we'll see him later. No big deal. And all of a sudden, our friend walks up. He's like, guys, I was looking for you. Why don't you come to the back? We're like, well, you're not a good administrator, and you forgot to leave a lanyard at the check-in area for us. So he's like, oh, oh, let me grab you one. So he goes over, and he grabs us one of these. Our, our dream team wears these. He grabs us a lanyard, and we put it on. You know, I now walked back to that hallway. My head was not hanging low. It was hanging high. I was like, you see this? I'm coming back. I have all access. I could come back there. I could go back in the secret rooms. I'm probably not, but I just was like, that's right. I belong here. The moment that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, do you know that, boom, you have access. You have access to God. The moment that you believe... Yet so many Christians approach God timid, like they don't belong, like they're not good enough, like they're not able to come and draw near him. This morning, I'm here to remind you, you've been given a lanyard. You've been given a badge. It says in Romans, you can put that verse on the screen now. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. We are made righteous with God when we what? Believe. All you have to do is believe. And you have positional righteousness. You have a position of righteousness. Guess what? Not because you did anything. I couldn't get backstage because I was like, I'm Robin and my title gives me access. I did nothing. God gives us access to him as soon as we believe. Come on, church. We can't approach God timid like we don't belong. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, come boldly before his throne. Come boldly. Bust in. God, I'm here. I know you're available. I'm ready to talk to you. It's not just the passion that we bring, but it's our position as sons and daughters knowing that we belong. When we pray with passion, knowing our position, we see God produce what? 
wonderful results. He's the one that comes in. All we got to do is bring our passion and know our position. And he will do the rest. He'll show up the way he shows up. I love what N.T. Wright states about about the position that James says um, regarding prayer. N.T. Wright says this, prayer isn't just me calling out to the dark and distant unknown God. Prayer means what it means and it does what it does because God is, as James promised, very near to those who draw near him. Heaven and earth meet when the righteous call on the name of the Lord. And prayer means what it means and it does what it does because God's new time has broken into the continuing time that is this sad old world. So that the person praying stands with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, and with the other foot in the place of healing, forgiveness, and hope. Prayer then brings the latter to bear the former. Church, we have to know and understand that if we bring our passion and we know our position, that God is the one who will show up and produce wonderful results. Band, you guys can come as I close. When we come, we bring our requests before him, not timid, not thinking, well, you know, I just don't belong. I probably can't access you, or this is my religious duty that I have to fulfill. We gotta come knowing that God wants to move in our lives, that he wants to show up. And when James talks about this portion of scripture, he goes back, we're gonna travel back before verse 14. You can put this up on the screen. It says, are you sick? Well, then you should call for the leaders of the church to come and pray over you. Simple as that. Anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord, he'll make you well. This picture of anointing oil, you're like, what's that and why? I'm confused. The anointing oil is a very simple yet profound and effective sign of God's longing to heal us. God doesn't want to leave us in the space of brokenness. He knows where we are and we knows what we're walking through. And if we could bring our requests before him, he's a God who actually wants to change stuff in our lives if we're willing to ask. See, I don't just believe that this is true because the word says it. I believe this to be true because I've experienced it myself. It's definitely good that I know the word says it, but it became more profound in my life when I recognized it myself. Um, little bit of backstory, I was born with a hereditary blood disorder. I like to call it a generational curse, call it like it is. Where's my dad? Dad, you didn't choose to give it to me, you know, fall of man, blah, blah, blah. So I had this blood disorder. A lot of people in our family do. So I grew up with a weakened immune system. 
I was the kid who always got sick. If you had a cold, wasn't that I like came over and like accepted your sneeze. If I was just in proximity, I just got it. My immune system was weak. Later, this blood disorder caused me to have to have my spleen removed, which if you know anything about the spleen, it's a line of defense for your immune system. So my body was even weaker, more apt to get sick. Being sick was just a part of my identity, honestly. I was used to being sick. I was used to missing days in school. I was used to getting everything that went around. So when I was about 20 years old, I had something called shingles for the second time. If you don't know what shingles are, it is the adult version of chicken pox that you get. And not everybody gets it, but it's brought on by stress. I was newly married. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. 20 years old, a little baby trying to figure it out. So it's shingles for the second time. And shingles, um, it's not so much that the blisters are irritated and you want to itch them like chicken pox. It's that they're painful. And it's almost as if nerve endings are bursting. And it's the most painful thing. So I found myself on a pain medication to try and cope with the pain. The pain medication only works so good. And at night I couldn't sleep, so I got on some sleep medication. And then I was on an antibiotic to fight off the infection that was happening in my body. Well, also at this time in my life, I had started going to a Bible study, Tim and I did. And I started learning more about the power of God. I started having an understanding because people were talking about it, about healing, about prophecy, and all the gifts and that they're for today. And my mind was being open and my faith was being stirred. So this small group leader, we invited him over to our house for dinner one night. And at the end of the night, I said, would you pray for me? I'm so done with being sick. I'm in so much pain. Honestly, I'm addicted to all the painkillers I'm taking and the sleep meds. I'm just done. We sat down on the couch and we began to pray. Tim and him laid their hands on me and we began to pray with a fervency. There's this thing in my heart that went, God, I know I'm your daughter. I know you love me and I know you have good things for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me. God, I know you wanna give me a hope and a future and right now I don't wanna live this way. And I prayed with fervency and Tim and our friend prayed with fervency. It wasn't the eloquence of their word and the prayer that they prayed. It was the heart behind it as we poured out our heart to God and said, help us. I was sitting there and our friend left and I was still sitting there with my eyes closed. And honestly, I didn't feel anything different. It wasn't until as I was sitting there, I all of a sudden got a picture of my medicine cabinet. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> like I could not get the medicine cabinet out of my mind. So I got up from the couch, I didn't say anything, and I immediately went into the kitchen and I opened up the cabinet. I can still picture it in our tiny little kitchen, staring at this medicine cabinet and all of these pills that I had been taking. And I was like, okay, what now, God? You just want me to look at it? And not in an audible voice, but I could feel in my heart, God say, get rid of them. And I'm like, God, you sure? And I heard him say, do you trust me? I grabbed the pain meds and I looked at it. I'm like, I trust you. And I threw them away. And I'm like, okay, we good? Because I need to sleep still. <laughs> I looked up and I knew we weren't done. I grabbed the sleep medication. 
I said, God, are you sure? He said, do you trust me? I threw away the sleep meds. And then I'm like, well, of course we're done now because see, I'd grown up being sick. So I know you don't throw away antibiotics. Like you finish antibiotics, right? Nurses, doctors, right? We finish them. And I knew I wasn't done with them. I'm like, God, but this one I gotta keep, right? Now, disclaimer here. I'm not your doctor and I'm not, I'm not your spiritual advisor on your story. This is my story, okay? So don't, sit, don't quote like, Robin told me to throw all of my meds away. No, go listen to God about what he says over you. I gotta give that disclaimer. So grab these antibiotics and I said, God, I trust you. And I threw them away. I walked back to my bedroom and when I got in my bedroom, I remember standing in front of my closet. I was about to get ready for bed. And I'm like, the pain's gone. The pain is gone. And Tim wasn't even in there, but I'm just talking to myself. I'm like, something happened between the medicine cabinet and down the hallway to my bedroom and the pain was gone. I lifted up my shirt and I looked in the mirror. The blisters were gone, like vanished. I was sitting there or standing there like dumbfounded. Like, God, you are so good. God, as I knew in believing in my heart that you wanted to touch my life and I prayed out with passion and I knew that I'm your daughter who you wanna, you wanna make my life whole. God, you're so good. But it doesn't end there. I told you I was sick all the time. That next month, all of a sudden I realized I haven't gotten a cold or anything. Another month went by, I was still healthy. Another month went by, I still wasn't getting sick. I didn't change anything else about my habits until much later in life. I still ate the same. I still drank the same amount of water. God was healing my immune system, not just my shingles. Another month went by. It was over a year. I remember, I remember it being over a year before I got a random common cold. God didn't just heal me from shingles. He didn't just heal me from having a, a weak immune system. I think that God healed me from my identity being about sickness. He did way more than I realized he was gonna do. And I tell you this story this morning to build your faith because I believe that the God of heaven wants to meet us in this room right here, right now on this Sunday morning. I believe that he's the same God that day that healed me. I believe he's the same God that when I've laid my hands on other people and I've seen them recover, God wants to meet with us because he loves us. And he says, do you wanna be well? Then come, draw near me and I will draw near you. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.